Amen. So John chapter 17. Um, John chapter 17 is, is what, is what you know, is referred to as the real Lord's Prayer. You know, we, we, we hear of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be our name. Your kingdom come, your will be done as, as it is as in heaven, in earth as it is in heaven. You know, and people typically call that the Lord's Prayer. But if, if you break it down, uh, it's not the Lord praying for himself. You know, but he's teaching his disciples how to pray. So that would be, you know, the disciples' prayer. But John chapter 17, we have, we have an intimate prayer, you know, of Jesus. This is the Lord's prayer. He's praying unto God the Father. And, and, and John chapter 17 is unique because there's nothing like it in the Bible where we have a conversation between God the Son and God the Father. And not only a conversation, but an intimate prayer. I mean, I think about all the intimate things that, that, that I talk to the Lord about when I'm in my prayer closet, you know, when I'm by myself. Like things that, that I won't even share with my wife, things I wouldn't share with anybody, but only the Lord. You know, and to think that we have the privilege of, of eavesdropping on an intimate prayer between God the Son and God the Father is just amazing. Commentators have referred to John chapter 17 as the Holy of Holies of the New Testament. The great Scottish preacher John Knox, while he was on his deathbed, he had this, this chapter read to him for days until he passed away. His wife, his wife uh, was there with him and, she, and, and he said, bring me, bring me the scriptures. And she said, uh, what would you like for me to read to you? He said, read to me that, read to me in that place where I first set my anchor. And it was John chapter 17. And he had John chapter 17 read to him over and over and over and over until he finally passed away. He found comfort in this in the Lord's Prayer. So John chapter 17, the Lord's Prayer, is pretty much bro- broken down into three sections. Uh, verse, verses 1 through 5, Jesus is praying for himself. Verses 6 through 19, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And verses 20 through 26, Jesus is praying for all believers. Uh, and, and that includes us, as we're going to see later on down the, down the chapter. So we'll start off with verses 1 through 5. Jesus praying for himself. It says this, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So we see Jesus begins his prayer to the Father. And it says that, so again, he's having a conversation with, with his disciples. We see the, the past chapter before. It's one continuous conversation. It's one continuous discourse with, with the disciples, starting from, from chapter 14, 15. You know, so we have these chapter breaks. But when Jesus was talking to the disciples, there was no, there was no break in between. It was one long, ongoing conversation. And then chapter 17 starts by saying, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said. So they take it I mean, I can kind of just picture the scene. You know, Jesus is there talking to the disciples. Um, I don't know if he ran off to like, the wilderness or if he just right there as his disciples as were there. Maybe he just, he just lifted up his eyes and started just, uh, just talking to, to God the Father. I could just imagine in my head. But he said that, that he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And he started just praying. He says, Father, the hour has come. He starts off his prayer by saying, Father, the hour has come. Now, all of Jesus' earthly ministry had been leading up to this very moment. 
here in the Gospel of John and through all the Gospels, but in the Gospel of John, it was in chapter 2 at the, at the wedding feast in Cana, you know, where his mother came up to him and said, hey, they, they ran out of wine. And Jesus' response was, what does that have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And, out, and all throughout the Gospel of John, we see this, uh, Jesus utter these words, my hour has not yet come. Multiple times the, the, the religious leaders had uh, taken up stones to try to kill him. They try to throw him off a cliff. They try to, they try to you know, get rid of him. And it was always, you know, Jesus said, hey, my hour had not yet come. He would always escape. He would always get away. He would always, you know, somehow, you know, avoid the crowds, avoid the situation. And it was because he, he said, my hour had not yet come. But now he's lifting up his eyes to the Father. He says, Father, the hour has come. He says, glorify your son. And the glory which Jesus is referring to is the cross. He says, glorify your son. Talking about the cross. Now, the cross at the time was an instrument of shame. You know, it wasn't something, it wasn't something to be looked upon. It wasn't something to be admired. It wasn't something to, 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 to kind of, you know, to desire. It was an instrument of shame. The, the tradition of the time with the, with the Romans, you know, as a... I mean, many people were crucified at the time. You know, Jesus wasn't the only person who was crucified. And, the, and their custom was that they would crucify a person. You know, and the crucifixion is similar to the death penalty. And, and they would put him on a main road. So as people were walking by, they could spit on him. They could throw insults. They could throw rocks. They could throw whatever they want at him. It was, it was, it was meant to be a shameful thing. It was, it, it was, it was something very, uh, just very shameful, very undesirable. And Jesus is saying, Father, glorify your son. Speaking about the cross. So to the world, the cross, an instrument of shame. But to the Father, that same instrument of shame was going to be used as an instrument to glorify the Son. So he says, glorify your Son. And then he goes on to say that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is God's gift to us, eternal life. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So Jesus said, Hey, the hour has come. Glorify me, Father. Speaking about the cross. He says, that I may, So that I may give them eternal life. So that I may give eternal life to as many as you have given me. So that's God's gift to us, is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ. Through what Jesus did on the cross. That's His gift. Again, Romans 6.23, 6, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life to Christ Jesus. That's one of my favorite verses that, that, that I like using when I, when I go out and, and evangelize or when I'm in a conversation trying to just talk to somebody about the Lord. That verse always comes up because there's always this issue of sin in our lives. No matter who you are, we have that issue of sin. Whether it's a person in a, posi- in a position of authority, of power, whether it's someone rich, someone poor, one thing that, that, that we all have in common as human beings is sin. is our sinful nature, our sinful fallen nature. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. You know, and when I talk to people, I always explain this. I say, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Meaning that, you know, if you go and you work, in, work at, that, at that store for eight hours, at the end of the week, you're going to get a, a, a wage for your work. The Bible says that the wages for sin is death. Meaning eternal separation from God. But then Paul says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And that's God's gift to us, is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So now Jesus is saying, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give, that, that, that's the gift right there, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. He says, to as many as you have given him. 
So sometimes the, the, the question might, might arise, well, who is it that the Father has been given to the Son? You know, who did the Father give to the Son? Because Jesus said, hey, that I may give eternal life to as many as you have given me. And some people ask, well, does that mean that some, only some are chosen for salvation and some are not? No. Because the Bible says that God's desire is for none to perish, but for all to come to repentance, for all to know Him. It's in 2 Peter 3, 9. It says that God is not willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And what is eternal life? Well, Jesus says it right there. Verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You know, I, I know we, we throw that out a lot as Christians, you know, eternal life, eternal life, you know, we have eternal life. For God so loved the world, you know, that the years only begotten Son. And, and we, we always, we're always talking about eternal life, you know, and sometimes we, don't, we, we lose, we lose the, the, the meaning of, of what that is. I mean, yeah, it is spending eternity with God, with our sins forgiven, you know, in heaven where there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, you know, no more suffering because the former things of this world are going to pass away and everything is going to be made new. But it's also this. Jesus said that eternal life is, is that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, Jesus used this word, that they may know you. And in the Greek, this word know is a word gnosko. And what it means, it's, it's an intimate, intimate knowledge of something or someone. It's a, it's, a, it's a knowledge by experience. It's not just knowing by what you hear, about what you see, but knowing by, by, by personal Experience. Oftentimes, this word "gnosko" is used to 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 describe a you know an, an intimacy between a husband and a wife. You know, the marriage bed. So, so that this 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 deep intimacy. And Jesus is saying, "This is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That they may know you. That they may gnosko you. That they may know you by personal experience. That they may know you in an intimate relationship." And we see that this is eternal life, that, we're, that, that God's desire is that we will have an, an intimate relationship with Him. It's not about a religion, it's not about a tradition, it's not about a, coming here two times a week, do our deeds, do our, our, our deeds outside of the church, and then boom, that's it. No, but it's about a personal relationship with God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So it says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So it's not just knowing God. It's not just knowing about God. You know, but it's, it's actually knowing God. And then in this prayer right here, Jesus mentions two very important things. Go down to verse 4. It says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So two very important things here about, about Jesus Christ, you know, and, and I, I feel it you know, important to, to mention these things, you know, because my, my duty you know, as, as, a, as a pastor teacher is, to, is to, equip, to equip us, to equip you guys you know, for, for, for the work of the ministry. You know, and, and as Paul encouraged Timothy, hey, that, that, that you would uh, pre- present yourself you know, proven to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And with so many you know, false narratives about Jesus out there, so many false false uh, things about, about Jesus out there. You know, it's important that, that we're taught the truth about Jesus and who He is. So uh, I just want to point out two things right there. Then in verse 4, He says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And then Jesus says, And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you 
before the world was. So he says, glorify me together with yourself. Now it's important to note this because Isaiah 42, Isaiah 42, 8 says that, that God shares his glory with no one. He says, behold, I am, I am the Lord your God. You know, that word Lord there is Jehovah. He says, behold, I am the Lord your God. He says, and my glory will, will I not give to another. So in the Old Testament, God says that, that he does not share his glory with anybody. Now Jesus is here praying to the Father and, saying, and he's saying, Father, glorify me together with yourself. With the glory that I had with you before the world was. Now we know that, that, uh, that the Bible is, is in error, meaning it has no errors. You know, it's, it's, it has no, no flaws. You know, the, the Bible is 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, about 1,189 chapters in the whole Bible. And, and, and with all those chapters, all those verses, all those books, there's not one mistake. There's not one error. And if there was, if there was even one mistake in the Bible, if there, if there was even one false claim, if there was even one, one, false, one false statement, then we could just throw our whole Bibles away. We could walk away from this Christian faith because it would mean nothing. But the truth about the Bible is, is, that, is that it's God's word. It's his inspired word. And it does not contradict itself. The Bible does not contradict itself. And God does not contradict himself. But in the Old Testament, he says, I'm the Lord your God. He says, my glory will, will I not give to another. And now Jesus is saying, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory that I had with you before the world was. So the only, the only, the only rational explanation is that Jesus is God. You know, us as Christians, we, biblical Christians, we believe in the, in the Holy Trinity, you know, which is one God. You know, there's one being that we call God, and within that one being, there's three persons: the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all equally God. Turn, turn with me to, to John chapter twenty. John chapter twenty, verse twenty-eight. As Jesus there. After he had, he had already resurrected, he appears to his disciples. And Thomas was in there. So when Thomas comes back, the disciples tell Thomas, Hey, Thomas, we saw the risen Lord. And Thomas said, hey, unless, unless, I'm, unless I see the holes in his hands, and unless I, I put my finger in his side, I'm not going to believe it. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. And he says there, verse, verse 28, verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here. And put it into my sight. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And then Thomas said there in verse 28. says, And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. He recognized Jesus is God. The second person of the, of the Trinity. And it's important to, to mention this. And I have to mention this because there's so many false religions out there. That, that, that deny the deity of Christ. That, that, that deny the power of Christ. That deny the person of Christ. They say that Jesus is the son of God. But he's not equally God. We have some guys down the street right now, the Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, that, that, that they, they use the same terminology, but they have a different Jesus. They say, Jesus is the Son of God, but He's not God. They call Him a lesser God. So that means that they believe in two gods, but that's a whole other issue with their, with their theology. They also believe that, that Jesus is not actually God, but that He's Michael the Archangel. There's another false religion out there called the Mormons. I'm just naming the big ones. You know, that, that believe that, that Jesus is not God, not the one true eternal God, but that he was once a man like us and that he came onto this earth, that he passed the test that God gave him and that, and that God exalted him to a place of, of God. 
And they have this saying, they said, they say, as he was, we are. As he is, we will be. So they believe that, 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 that all of us, if you're a good Mormon, if you follow, follow all the rules and do the right things, that God's going to exalt you uh, and, and make you a God as well, give you your own planet, all kinds of different things. Now, those are just some of the two biggest, biggest false religions out there, cults, really, you know, that, that, that teach false things, false things about Christ. But if we go to the scriptures and we say, what do the, the scriptures say? What does Jesus say about himself? What does the Bible say about himself? What does God say about himself? And Jesus says, I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So see, God shares his glory with nobody. So he will share his glory with the Son because God, God the Son is, is equally God. And he shares the same glory with God the Father and God the Spirit. Amen. Another thing I want to point out, he said, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Another thing that we need to know about Jesus is that, is that Jesus is the eternal God, that Jesus always existed. He wasn't created, you know, once, once he was born on this earth. You know, and, and I'm only mentioning it because on Friday when I went to go pick up the, the generator, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he's like, hey, man, he says, okay, can, I, can I shoot you a video to listen to? He's like, there's this guy, he says, one of my friends, she started going to this church, and this guy has a huge following here in, here in L.A. And, I mean, huge. You know, he has a huge following. And, and so he's like, yeah, I went over there, and something just didn't sit right with me, you know, and he's, can, can you just listen to this video and just tell me, you know, if, if, if there's anything wrong with it? Because she sold out for this church, and... You know, he has a huge following, and I don't know. I'm like, all right, bro, you know, I, I hardly listen to other, you know, like, especially if I know it's false. I don't like listening. I don't like wasting time with stuff like that. But, you know, just for the sake of giving him an answer, I, I listen to it. And so this guy, man, I'm not going to say his name or anything, but, but so this guy, he has a huge, yeah, a huge crowd, and the church service was pretty much like a question and answer thing. You know, and he posed a question to the crowd, and the question that he posed to the crowd was, why did God create Jesus? And... Why did he have to die? Something like that. You know, so in, in him posing that question, he was already, he was already posing a, a, a false narrative. Because he said, why did God have to create Jesus? Now it's already false because God didn't create Jesus. Jesus always existed. He is the eternal son. So before Jesus came on this earth, you know, and took on human form, he existed eternally with the Father. And now Jesus existed as, as God the Son always, eternally. He came on, he took on this human form, and he, he added humanity to his deity. But this guy had a huge following, man. And he asked like 20 people this question, all Christians, and, and nobody could answer him. And then he goes on, and he gives this false, this false you know, teaching about why God had to create Jesus. You know, and, and in my head, I'm just thinking, man, this guy's such a liar. But there's so many people out there who are not informed. There are so many Christians who are just so easily deceived. Because churches are not teaching doctrine from the pulpit. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a theologian or anything. I'm not, the, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm this crazy Bible scholar. You know, but, but I understand biblical doctrines. You know, and that's something that, that, that I want to I teach you guys as well. Because again, my duty as, as a pastor teacher is to make sure that you guys are equipped you know, to answer any question. The Bible says that, that, that we're supposed to be, always be ready to give an answer to anybody who asks us about the faith that is in us. So Jesus says, I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So Jesus had every right, every right to, to, to take up that glory again because he's God the Son. 
He says, With that glory I had with you before the world was. There in John chapter 1. I mean, it's, 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 it's funny how, you know, all these, all these quirky false teachings and all these quirky doctrines and all these uh, just false things that, that, that people teach. I mean, they're so easily uh, explained through the Bible. <laughs> but, you know, most people don't read their Bibles. So John chapter 1, which is 1 to 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Talking about Jesus. Referring to Jesus as the Word. The Logos. In Greek, that word, the word Word is Logos. In the beginning was the Word. Talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. So we see that Jesus always eternally existed with God the Father in His glory. I just felt I need to, to clear that up before we before we went on with the, with the rest of the prayer. But verses 6 through, through 19 say this. Jesus continues on with His prayer. He starts off by praying for Himself. You know, by, by asking the, the, the Father to, to, to glorify Him. You know, by allowing him, allowing him to go to the cross, being crucified, being beaten, being stricken, being shamed, being despised. He says, Father, glorify me. Again, that, that cross, the instrument of shame that God the Father used as an instrument to glorify the Son. And he goes on to pray for his disciples. He says this in verse 6. I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which, which you have given me. And they have received them. And have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours, and all are mine, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep to your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. That's some heavy stuff right here. But Jesus is praying for his disciples now. He says, he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. Speaking about his 12. Jesus had other, other followers. He had, he had other disciples, but he chose to, to, to raise up these 12. There in the Gospel of Luke, when he sends out the disciples, it says that he sends out 70 of them. And that they go out and then, and then, then they come back and then, and then they say, they're all excited because they're like, Lord, in, in your name we're casting out demons and we're doing all this cool stuff. And, and Jesus says, hey, don't, don't, don't rejoice because you're doing all these things, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. But there in the Gospel of Luke, it says that, that, he, that he sent out seven, 70 of them. 
So we know that, that the Lord had, had other followers, you know, but he, cho- he chose these 12 out, out of all of those to pour into, you know, to use them, to use them as, as, as a pillars to, 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 send, to send forth the message. And he's praying for these 12. And he prays these three things to the Father. He says, he prays that, that God would keep them or that he would sustain them. He prays that they would be united. And he prays that they would be sanctified. Now, this word sanctified means set apart. That they would be set apart from the world, you know, unto God. So he prays these, th- these three things for disciples. That God would keep them, that they would be united, and that they would be sanctified. And he says, I have manifested your name. Now, that word manifested means revealed or, or made known. So he's saying, Father, I have made known your name. Now, a person's name was always identified with a person, you know, with, with, with their identity, with their nature. So he's saying, Lord, I've, I've revealed your nature to them. I have revealed your person to them. And how do you do that? By, by being with them for those three years. So in those three years that Jesus was, was with his disciples, he revealed the, the character of the Father to them. He revealed the person of the Father to them. Saying, Lord, I have manifested your name to them. And I, think, I just think it's awesome that, that, that Jesus made God the Father known to them by just being with them. By eating with them, by, by, by hanging out with them, by walking with them, by spending time with them, by fellowshipping with them. You know, he didn't sit them, sit them down to this three-year seminary course and boom, boom, boom. You just spend time with them. You know, and it's interesting for us to note that, that, you know, if you want to know what God the Father is like, look at the Son. In the Son, we see God's mercy, God's love, God's patience, God's long-suffering, God's power. If we want to know what God, what God the Father is like, Look at the son. So he says, Lord, I've manifested your name to them. I've revealed your name to them. I've revealed your person to them. I've revealed who you are to them. Somewhere else in the gospel, he, he's talking to his disciples a couple chapters back. You know, and I think it's Nathaniel or Andrew who, say, who, who tell him, just show the father and that'll be enough. And he says to him, have I not been with you long enough and you haven't, and you haven't seen? He says, if you have seen me, you have seen the father. So this is what Jesus is talking about. You know, he, he revealed the Father to them by just being with them. And then he says, those who you gave me, I have kept and I have given. He says, they were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. And then he says, and I have given to them. So right here we see, we see a, a, just th- this perfect order you know, of God giving, them, them keeping the, the word, and then Jesus giving them. So God chooses people to be saved. People respond. And then Jesus gives. Gives what? And he gives their word. Then verse 8. For I have given to them the words which you have given me. And they have received them. And have known surely that I come forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. So again, this is just perfect order. God giving. You know, God giving the people. The people responding and, and, and responding to the call. And then Jesus pouring out into those people. And that's us. So God chooses everyone, you know, but not everyone responds. We know that. I mean, we talk, we've talked to so many people, you know, some people you know, want nothing to do with God. Some people are not ready. You know, some people just are neutral. And to the ones that respond to God, then the, the Lord pours out man, His Holy Spirit on them. And, he, and all these, you know, spiritual truths. And He grows them in their, in their relationship with Him. So we see this perfect order. God choosing, you know, people responding. And then the Lord doing the rest of the work. He says, I've given them your word. All right there in verse 2, 
there verses, a couple of verses before Jesus stated that he has authority over all flesh. Notice, he says, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give them eternal life. So Jesus has authority over all flesh and really all things, really the whole world because he created the world. He has authority over all things. And I just think it's so cool that, that as he's praying for the, for the disciples, he mentions, he says, I have given them your word. Now Jesus, and I was reading this, I thought, man, it's so cool that, that Jesus being God, Jesus having authority over all things, you know, he could have given them riches. He could have given them, you know, monetary gain. He could have given them positions of power. He could have given, given them all these things. But he gave them God's word. I just think, I just think that's, that, that's amazing. You know, that, that, that it gives them God's word. Why? Because all these other things are going to pass away. Monetary gain, positions, you know, everything else is going to pass away. But God's word is going to stand forever. One of my favorite Psalms is uh, Psalm 19. And there's, there's, a, there's a section right there in Psalm 19 where the psalmist is just, it's a psalm of David. And the psalmist David, he's just pouring out his heart into the Lord. And it's, it's a psalm about the scriptures. And he starts off by saying there in Psalm 19, verses starting from 7, it says, he, so he uses all these words to describe the Bible, to describe the scriptures. He says the law, the testimony, statutes, commandments, you know, the fear of the Lord, the judgment. So he uses all these words to describe the, the, the Bible. He starts off by saying, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yeah, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And he says, moreover, by them your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there's, there's great reward. But it, the psalm is talking about God's word. He says, Lord, your, your word is, is to be desired more than gold. Yeah, more than the finest gold. Lord, your, your word is sweeter than honey, sweeter than the honeycomb. And I keep in mind, back then they didn't have uh, uh, sugars and, and the, you know, sugar and, and uh, all these, all these you know, high fructose corn syrup things that we have now. You know, but, and to them, the, the, the sweetest thing that they knew was, was honey. You know, these natural sweeteners. So the psalmist is saying, Lord, your word is sweeter than the sweetest thing I know. Sweeter than honey. Sweeter than the honeycomb. That's only right that, that Jesus would, would give his followers his word. You know, and that's what he gives us, his word. And that brings up the, the importance of just of being in, God, in God's word. Because it's God's word that's going to sustain us. It's God's word that, that's going to build us up. It's God's word that's going to that's reassure, reassure us. That's going to strengthen us in those moments of weakness. That's going to lift us back up. That's going to keep us through our walk. It's God's word. It's God's word that, that, God's word that does the work in us. Amen. So he says, I have given them your word. And then he says, keep through your name those whom you have given me. Now it's awesome to know that, that, that it's God who does the keeping work in us. He says, keep through your name. He says, Father, you keep through your name those whom you have given me. I, just, I read that and I just, man, I had to just stop and say, man, thank you, Lord. That, that Lord, if you're doing the work, it's not me. The, the keeping is not up to me. You know, I don't have to strive to just be, make sure that I'm kept in the Lord. And I don't have to strive to make sure that my salvation is sure. And I don't have to strive and endeavor and, 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 and break a sweat and, and all these things just, just to be saved. You know, but it's God that does the keeping work in us. So I just thought that, that was awesome, you know, that, that Jesus is praying for the disciples and says, Lord, 
You keep through your name those whom you've given me. There in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5.23. I'm in Thessalonians, that's why I mentioned it. You know, I, I, came up, I came to this passage, I thought it was amazing. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Paul's exhorting the, the church there at Thessalonica, Thessalonica. And he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. So he gives us this exhortation to, to the church there at Thessalonica. Thessalonica. Can I ever say that word? Thessalonica. And he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. You know, now if, if, you, take, if you take God out of the equation, you know, it seems almost an impossible task, you know, to, to preserve ourselves blameless until, until the Lord comes back. Or to preserve ourselves blameless until, until we go to be with the Lord. Um, I mean, that I means that we have to pretty much wrap ourselves in bubble wrap and, and you know, not watch anything, not hear anything. Just, Lord, you have to preserve myself. If it were up to us, it'd be nearly impossible. Yeah, probably be impossible. But I just think it's awesome that, that, that Paul encourages the church here. And he says, hey, it's, it's God himself who's going to sanctify you completely. It's God himself who's going to who's going to preserve your spirit, soul, and body blameless. Then in verse 24, it says, He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. I think it's awesome how it's, it's God that's doing the work in us. You know, it's God who's doing that work of preserving us, of keeping us, you know, in His love. And this is what Jesus is praying. He says, Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me. And He says that they may be one just as we are one. And I thought... I mean, there's with so many divisions nowadays, even between the church. See more and more, you know, more Christians need to be read this chapter, you know, and be reminded that hey, now we're one body. You know, we may do things differently. You know, that some people might believe things a little, little, little minor things differently. You know, but we're one body. You know, and, and the Lord's prayer for His disciples is that God, may just may they be one as we are one. And we'll see later on that as he's praying for all believers, he's going to pray the same thing for all believers. But then he goes on to say, don't take them out of this world, but keep them from the evil one. So we see that God's will for us, we see that God's will for us is, is to be in the world, but to not be part of this world system. A couple of chapters ago, we were talking about, you know, the... the we're making that contrast between the love, of the, the love of the Father and the hate of the world. You know, we mentioned how, how Jesus told the disciples, hey, if, if, if the world hates me, it's going to hate you. You know, because the servant is not greater than his master. And we talked about this, this, this word world that Jesus uses. And he's talking about the worldly system. You know, this worldly system that, that, that Satan is in charge of. Satan, the prince of this earth. You know, and, and, how, and how Satan just influences so many things in this world you know, to, to come against Come against the people of God. Now we see that Jesus is praying for his disciples. He says, Lord, I do not pray that, that, that you take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And really, that's, that's an encouragement for all of us. Like he says, don't, don't take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. Because we see that God's will for us is to be in this world, to be alive in this world, but to not be part of this world. You know, and... 
We see that God could have saved us and then hid us from, from all the worldly influences. And, but then who's going to reach everyone else for Christ? You know, if, if, if we got saved and then we just pretty much just kept to ourselves and, and everybody went out into the world because we didn't want to taint our minds or, oh, my ears are too holy to hear any of this stuff. And, you know, I say, man, who's going to reach the world? You know, I, I, I trip out sometimes because you guys know I work in construction and, you know, some of my brothers know the construction field sometimes is just dirty. You hear a lot of filthy things, man, and, and we're right there, and we're, I'm right there working with, with these guys and stuff, and hearing all kinds of stuff, and not by choice, of course. And then once, once people find out you're a Christian, like, oh, don't say this, because, you know, oh, Mr. Mr. Holy Guy right there is right there. I'm like, oh, bro, you know, my sensitive ears, my Christian ears are too sensitive to hear this stuff. No, it's not about that. You know, it's, it's about being in the world, but not being part of the world, but just being that light in the world. You know, we might we may look like the rest of the world, you know, but when people get to know us, they see like there's something different about you. You know, you're not like us. You're not like everyone else. You're not like you're not like every, most people I know. You know, and then that's when the opportunity comes in to just share Jesus. So we see that Jesus prays for his disciples. He says, "Lord, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one." And we see again that it's God doing that that keeping work in us. And he goes on to say this. Then verse 18, he says, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. So we see that, that as the Father sent Jesus into the world to reveal his name, so he sends us into the world to make him known. You know, we see here the importance of the Great Commission that really all, all believers, you know, whether you're an evangelist, whether you're whatever gift the Lord has given you, we're all called to be these witnesses of God in the world. Jesus said, Father, as you sent me, I send them. And Jesus sends us into the world. To just be that, that, that light of the world. To just be that, that, that light into, into God. You know, to let people know, hey, there's a God in heaven who loves you. And then the third section of this prayer, Jesus prayed for all believers. He goes on by saying this there in verse 20. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me, and the world which, and, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it. That the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. So Jesus again starts off by praying for himself. Then he prayed for his disciples, the twelve. Well, the eleven now because Judas, Judas is gone. But then he prays for all believers. Now, I just thought it's so cool that, that he prays for, for, he says... For those who will believe in me. Now there's no timeline on that. There's no timeline on that prayer. It says, I pray for those who will believe in me. For all those who will believe in me. So that includes us. Any person who, 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 who has believed on the, on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ since this prayer went up you know, is included in that prayer. I just thought it, it, was, it just blew my mind that some 2,000 plus years ago, Jesus was praying for me. Jesus was praying for you. 
before you were, you were even a thought, before you were, you were even ex- existed, before you were even, I mean, man, man, even here, Jesus prayed for you. I just thought, man, oh, that's so cool that, that, that you had me in mind before I even existed. And we see that that's, that's the nature of God. You know, he, he's, not, he's not limited to time like we are, but, you know, but God exists in one eternal presence. We're limited to, to, to flashes of time. But God isn't. You know, He's outside of time. He exists in one eternal presence. He sees the beginning from the end. To Him, it's all the same. He, he, he could see, you know, uh, 2,000 years ago and 2,000 years from now as if it was one. That's like hard to comprehend, you know, but that's God. But He exists outside of time. He sees, he sees from beginning to end. We see that Jesus here as he's praying, he says he prays for all believers. You know, all people who will come to believe in him, to believe in his name. And that's us. Amen. So it's awesome to know that that uh, that the Lord had us in mind, you know, when he was when he was when he was praying this prayer. And and I don't doubt that as he prayed this, that maybe like everyone's face who, who was ever gonna believe in him just bring just flashing for his eyes. Like, I see he's God. You know, he has he has he has that ability to, you know, he has that, that sovereignty, that that knowledge, that foreknowledge. You know, and, and I don't even doubt, you know, if, if maybe just all of our faces just flash before his eyes, boom, 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 as he's praying, Lord, for all believers. I just, you know, just, those are the type of things that blow my mind as I'm reading the, script, the scriptures, and I get lost in these little, these little, these little things, you know. So us too, we're included in this, in this prayer, you know, and again, it's amazing to know that, that, that Jesus prayed for us, but even more amazing that Jesus continues to pray for us. There in Hebrews chapter 7, Chapter 7, verse 25. Hebrews 7, 25 says, Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And that's the ministry of Jesus. You know, sometimes we think that, that, that Jesus, all right, he was crucified, he was buried, he, he was resurrected, and he ascended, and that's it. His ministry was done. And it's not. You know, sometimes we neglect the, the, the ministry of Christ now, which is to intercede for us, for all believers, to pray for us. So just know that if, if you place your faith in Christ, you know, even if you don't have no one praying for you, Jesus is praying for you. Amen. You go throughout your day, you think, man, you know, is anyone even thinking about me? You know, is everyone even, uh, have I come to anyone's mind? You know, is everyone praying for me? Hey, Jesus is praying for you all the time. That's his ministry. His ministry is, is dedicated to, to your walk, you know, and praying for your walk and praying for your relationship and praying for your life. That's the ministry of Christ now. That he's there sitting, you know, at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. I love that verse again. I'm going to read it again, Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So we see that this is the ministry of Christ. It didn't end as ascension, you know, but this is ministry now that He's making intercession for us to the Father. Now, Jesus here, you know, hours away from the cross. The next chapter is chapter eighteen. We're going to see that that, that Judas Iscariot is going to come in with the whole crazy mob, and they're going to take Jesus. So He's hours, hours away from from the cross. And what's He thinking about? Think about me, you, and me. About me, and you. But all believers, as disciples, I think that the hours before Jesus went to the cross, He was thinking about you. For all believers, He was thinking for our unity. He was praying for our unity. He was praying that the Lord would keep us. 
He was praying that that, uh, that, that, that the Father would just would, would, would keep us there in His love. He goes on to pray for us and He says there in 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you, have, for you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare it. That the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. He says that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. So finally, God's desire is for us to know his love. That same know, that same word, gnosko. You know, to know by experience, to know by, by intimate knowledge. To know His love. You know, to experience His love. To walk in His love. And how else can, can we know His love apart from a, an abiding relationship with Jesus? Again, this one continued discourse. A couple of chapters behind, He started talking to them about, about abiding in the vine. You know, abiding in me. He says, hey, abide in me. You know, and, and my Father's the vine dresser. As you guys abide in me, we're one. You know, and now we see that, that he ends his prayer right before going to the cross by praying, Father, that, that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. So he ends his prayer by, by, by praying that, that we would know God's love. You know, and so far, you know, through this whole discourse, he's told his disciples, we see this in chapter 16, chapter 15, until right now he's talking to his disciples and he's, he's told them to abide in him. He's, tell, he's told them that the world hates them, it's gonna hate, hates me, it's going to hate you too. He said, hey, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. He said, he's exhorted them to be in unity. He's prepared them for the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And now he's telling them, walk in God's love. And really, this is, this is an exhortation for not just the disciples, but for all of us. And because all those things apply to us, abiding in Christ, you know, knowing that the, that the world system is going to hate us for our beliefs, knowing that, that we're going to have tribulation, but to be a good cheer because He has overcome the world, knowing the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and then knowing God's love in our lives. So it's an exhortation not just for, for, the, for the believers, not just for the disciples, you know, but for us as well, for the church today. You know, it's a continued exhortation. That we will just continue to abide in Him. That we will continue to just know His love. And that's God's desire for us today, is that we will be reminded to just abide in Him and to know His love. You know, we're singing that song earlier and I was, man, I was like this close to, to just bursting up in tears. I'm like, I'm praying like, Lord, make her finish already because I'm going to ball up like a baby right now and I'm going to be a mess up there. And I held it in as much as I could. I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> when let's finish that last song. But just talking about God's love, I'm like, Lord, your love, your love. And that's God's desire for us, you know, is that, is that we would know His love. Yeah, but again, it all comes through, through an abiding relationship with Christ. With that, I'm going to pray. Father God, just thank you so much Lord, for your word. Lord, thank you for your word that just exhorts us, that corrects us, that, that, that uh, encourages us. Lord, and just thank you for your love, Lord. That, that love that was, that was shed upon the cross, or that display of love. Father, because you suffered, you suffered for us because you love us, Lord. I just thank you that because of, of your sacrifice, Lord, now we could enter in this, into this loving relationship with you. And I pray for God for my brothers and sisters here today, Lord. If, if in, in, area, in, in any area of their walk, they're, they're lacking, Father, I pray Lord, that you would grow them in your love. That you would cause them to know that, that they are loved by you, Lord. And that you would just 
bring to their remembrance, Lord, the fact that you're praying for them always, Lord. So be with us, Lord, as we just continue going through our day, Lord. I pray for, for, for the body here, Lord, and I pray for, for City Terrace, and I pray for God that you continue to you, that you continue to use us as just a conduit of your love to this community, Lord. That you continue to use us as, as a voice here in this community, Lord, to just share your love. So Father, we bless your name and we thank you in Jesus. Amen.